1: A graphic novel, a TV show Well, it's not TV, it's HBO And will this thing succeed? And by how much, man? And some might cheer and some might scoff Because it's Damon Lindelof But either way, we're off to watch some Watchmen Watching watchmen, talking watchman analyzing watchmen, and maybe arguing over watch.
0: Welcome to Watchmen Watch, a podcast all about Watchmen, where we watch Watchmen, you watch Watchmen, we watch you watching Watchmen, you listen to Watchmen, you think about Watchmen, and sometimes (laughs) you smell Watchmen. I'm Alex.
1: Well, I'm Justin.
0: I'm Pete, and uh, we actually have some news before we get into the show. Uh, Justin, what's going on?
1: Yeah, sorry. So uh, the fourth uh, host of our show uh, is Alan Moore, obviously, yeah. um, and he is um, committed to this podcast. And he, he actually just texted me. We communicate via text. Yeah, and he just texted me. And Wait, he, sorry.
0: I Does he have an iPhone or what's going on?
1: Uh, no. You know how like on on an iPhone the texts come up blue or green. Yes, yeah. It's come up um like hot pink. Huh. So I don't know what oh, he's... I think he okay. may be texting from um, somewhere the else. But, uh, the future, the past. Uh, in this case, he texted me from the surface of Mars, oh. uh, where oh, okay. he's, he's retracing um, the doc, doc Manhattan. He's doing a couture of all the Doc Manhattan. Oh, setting, okay. wait, like, wait, is he,
0: he, is he uh, running the tour, or is he taking the tour? Are you talking about like juicy couture?
1: No. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. Um, that's a good guess, though, because I'm often talking about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, he's he setting does. up. He does.
0: We should mention, he's often, when he is here for the podcast, he's usually wearing those short shorts that say juicy on the back. Yes.
1: Uh, but he has <laughs> taken his name off the back of his short shorts. Yes. Uh, so he is setting up a, like, in the New York, there's a Sex in the City tour for all the locations where Sex in the City took place. Sure. So yeah. He's doing that for Watchmen. So he's on oh, uh, scouting uh, on the surface fun. of Mars. That's yeah. fun. You
0: can see a newsstand.
1: You could see a wall. Um, A pirate ship made of dead bodies. (laughs) It's going to be fun.
0: Yeah. Good time. Good time. Well, hopefully he will be back for next week's podcast. He definitely will.
1: He said. Oh, he did. He said. He's definitely here next week.
0: Well, this week we are continuing our tour through Alan Moore and Dave Givens' classic comic book series. We're going to be talking about the fourth issue Watchmaker of the book as we ramp up to HBO's premiere of Watchmen on October 20th. So that's pretty exciting. Very exciting. Uh now before we get into this book though I did want to ask you Justin you've worked at bars before right mm-hmm, Yes uh do you know how do you make as a, vet- a bartender as a bartender <laughs> And dancer. Yeah.
1: Oh, boy. Exotic. Don't. Yeah, well, both exotic and regular dancers.
0: <laughs> regular.
1: Uh, I'm the stripper that does the Macarena.
0: Yeah. No. I love that when they have that on a side outside where they're like, exotic and regular dancers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> regular style. full
1: buffet. Regular style dancers. Yes.
0: Uh, how do you make a Manhattan? What's uh, it in a Manhattan?
1: Manhattan, uh, I mean, there's some variations, but it's... Uh, you want to mix your your bourbon, your, sure. your brown, uh, whatever it is, whiskey. Um, bourbon is sort of the popular one now. Your sweet vermouth, um, a little bit of bitters, and a cherry.
0: Yep. How
1: would you make a
2: Dr. Manhattan,
1: do you think? Oh, um, add
2: Dr. Pepper on top.
1: Uh, that, don't they, think that would be good. <laughs> cool. You said that with such urgency. I've yeah, um, yeah, never heard you speak so quickly. Yeah. Uh, no, you just uh, make it regular and then stir it with your penis. <laughs> <laughs> Do you got to make your pants blue before you <laughs> stir it? What color is your pants? Uh, <laughs> My uh, bad. <laughs> oh, boy.
0: All right. Let's get into the book. Uh, now, this issue, as we implied, is all about Dr. Manhattan. Go back and tell his origin. Uh, the things that have happened very briefly in the book so far, Edward Blake, the comedian, has been murdered. Rorschach, uh, a vigilante, one of the few remaining vigilantes, is been investigating his murder. Uh, and through a series of circumstances that we don't know exactly how they come together, Unless you've read the book already, like we have, like most of our listeners probably have, have led to Dr. Manhattan fleeing Earth after he was accused of giving multiple people, including his old love, Jenny Slater, cancer. And he is headed to Mars, and he's hanging out on Mars with an old photo of him in his human guise of John Osterman before he was changed into Dr. Manhattan uh, and Jenny Slater. And that's kind of where we left him alone. Janie. Janie Janie Slater, excuse me, uh, alone on Mars. Uh, Now, here's the thing that I thought structurally was pretty fascinating about this issue in particular we've been talking a lot about the juxtaposition that more and Gibson's have been working throughout. This is the first issue that in a certain sense doesn't have that juxtaposition doesn't have panels that are describing different things that are dialogue that is describing different things that's happening in the panels, because it's all juxtaposition. It's all yeah. happening at the same time for Dr. Manhattan. Uh, and I, it almost in that way takes a step back and pauses in terms of the pacing,
1: and just tailors the story to the character that yeah. it's. Uh, I mean, this com this standalone issue, the this comic series is amazing. Obviously, uh, we talk about that a lot. The first three issues are very good. A lot of setup, great mystery, juxtaposition. But this issue as a standalone issue is, I think, a masterpiece. This is like yeah. the the masterpiece of the series. Really a masterpiece? Truly, like the way this story is told is so smart. And other comics have used this type of storytelling but this was like the first issue that was like used all these big physical ideas physics ideas and
2: and is it because we finally get the black g-string in this uh issue that you were we're not having to see just the junk it's covered up a little bit is that why you
1: yes that's what i mean is again juicy couture and g-strings is what we're all about (laughs) on this podcast yep uh no it's just like uh it's such a unique story t- way of telling the story that fits in with the character and also just keeps us guessing while also getting out a ton of exposition and having this anxiety that r- just runs through the whole issue that plays into the larger series, which is all about tension and the stress of impending disaster.
0: Right. Well, the other thing that uh, we're dealing with a lot here that we've talked about again earlier on the podcast is what is Dr. Manhattan and can he feel emotion? And that's something that we're wrestling with a lot in this issue because there were moments where. It feels like, even in his Dr. Manhattan guys that he is doing things emotionally. He is spurred on by humanity. But the way that he describes it, because almost this entire thing is through his own internal monologue, he is saying, no, this is all just inevitable. This is all just happening at the same time for me. I don't feel anything about any of these things. But I take it pretty clearly as that's not true. Like, I think there is... uh, one one of the things that this issue emphasizes That Dr. Manhattan Despite everybody being terrified about him be, About him being God yep. He's at best A God And uh-huh. it, not even that He has limitations
1: Well I think he just has God-like powers He has right. like uh, the power to Uh, to sort of see everything at once and manipulate the world around him. But it's all science-based. It's not like he has a mythical, mystical god powers. But I also think it's just a function of the way his life is now, where because he's aware of everything, only the big impact moments sort of reach him. Everything evens out because he sees it all like reading a book. Yeah. Like when we're reading a book, uh, reading a comic, like rarely do we cry, only like a huge moment gets us to really feel that emotion. Otherwise, we're just sort of watching these characters.
0: Interact. Now, that's an interesting point to think about it as a comic book, because what Moore and Gibbons are doing is dealing with the structure of a comic book and the impact of comic books and superhero comic books in particular through the 12 issues of Watchmen. And here you could probably argue that Dr. Manhattan sees the world as a comic book. Yeah. That he sees that it he's as... That he's authoring in a way. Right. And he's seeing it as these various still panels that depending on how you read it, you read one panel at a time or you're looking at the entire page and seeing nine things at the same time.
1: Right, and I think that's what it is because he's not omnipotent. He is just aware of much more um, at once because right. that's why I do think he does still have, like when he is confronted with the idea that he killed all these people that are close to him, he's affected by it and it causes him to run away and I think those emotions are real. He's suffering. He's feeling this horrible guilt, but it's only these emotions like guilt that are powerful and, and
0: get him in that way. Well, that's uh, the omnipotence thing is underlined pretty well. One of the scenes that we get in the comic book is we go back to that meeting, the one meeting of the crime busters that happened and in it, wait, actually, I don't know if it's in the meeting of the crime busters or it's somewhere else in the issue. Uh, he sees Moloch, but he does, doesn't know who Moloch is. Like he doesn't recognize him. Right. So it's not that he's omniscient. He doesn't know everything about everything all the time. Uh, he can't identify everything all the time. It's just that he understands things in his own lifetime. Yeah. Uh, I'll throw something else out at you that just occurred to me. But there's that big scene towards the middle where they're trying to give him a symbol and they're giving him the atomic bomb symbol. And he's like, no, that's ridiculous. That doesn't exist. Instead, I'll use this thing. And instead he draws, I believe it's a hydrogen molecule, right? Hydrogen atom. Yeah, Yeah. hydrogen atom, which is just a singular thing. So what's being emphasized here is that all he sees is his own life through himself. That's it. He... Can't see through Janie Slater's life. He can't see through Laurie's life. He can't see through Eddie Blake's life or anything like that. He's not reading people's minds. He's just experiencing all these things that happen to him at the same time. And a corollary note that uh, I'll throw out there on the throwing against him being a god front is he's only jumping through his own lifetime. Like, he's yeah. not being like, and now I'll go back to medieval times, or yeah. I'm going into the far future. I'm going to kill
2: Hitler or something.
0: Right, exactly. He's just existing in the span of his own lifetime, which, granted, is potentially forever at this point, from the point that he's created on, but he's not going backwards or forwards any farther than that. Yeah.
1: And he also... The way it's written, it almost feels like he's just going backwards. He talks a little mm-hmm. bit about... Because the, the narration he's doing is looking back. And he's talking about how in that time he was aware of the future. But you don't see him... At, he never is aware of the future in the present of the comic we're reading, if that makes sense. So like it's almost like he's just remembering shit. Right. So it, it definitely is not... He's not as strong or as powerful as he's... Positioned in the book
0: Right I I think you could argue that That's all of us Right I mean I don't know If you guys experience this But certainly I'll spend a lot of time Like certainly When I'm my most restful Where my brain Will immediately like Flash on something That happened 30 years ago That potentially I was embarrassed about Or I felt bad about Or maybe sometimes A good experience as well
1: Get into it (laughs) Get into it Alex Let's have a little flash
0: Real quick Here's my top five Most embarrassing (laughs) experiences
1: Yeah Yeah This also, oh, go ahead.
2: I was also just going to talk a little bit about the paneling a little bit and like how, when it does break from the panel, it does it in such a dramatic fashion. And like the stuff where you see him as this giant during wartime is such a powerful, like huge thing that, like, really kind of showcases the damage that he can do. And I think one of the reasons that, like, he retreats and kind of starts his own little world that he creates on Mars, is like, this is his kind of, like, safe place. And it kind of shows how vul- vulnerable and how, like, you know, a uh, childlike he is and how, you know... Uh, affected he is by all the things that he maybe did wrong in his life.
1: He just needs to go to his little special secret place and build a castle, a crystalline castle, and let it go.
0: Right, because he's really clearly let go of the fact that his dad threw a watch over the balcony back when he was younger. Uh, So he builds an entire watch castle on Mars. That's cool. As one does. As one does. Uh, Speaking of children, let's talk about Laurie a little bit. Let's talk about Silk Spectre. Um, so John Obsterman, a.k.a. Dr. Manhattan, he's kind of an older man, right? Yes. Kind of an older gentleman. He's
1: pretty, he says how old he is. He's yes.
0: very old. Yes, he's very old. Uh, he starts dating uh, Laurie seemingly when she's 16, according to his story. Oh, uh, right.
1: Yes. Well, uh, that's what Janie says, what is she, 16, 17, so I, it's not 100% clear how old she is, but right. young well, is the watchword. Well, word.
0: she says, what is she, 16, 17, uh, and then they give the year, and they jump forward to. Certain, I think, uh, four years to her 20th birthday. Yeah. So you can kind of figure out that she's 16 when they first make out on the roof. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty fucked up.
1: Yeah. Especially he's like he's like, f- he's like 50. Yeah, I just wanted up. to
0: point out that it's fucked up. Yep.
1: Um, yes, uh, I agree. And it's, he straight up just bails on his wife because she's too old for him. Right. Like, the, well, they go d- so far to say that he is so powerful and so aware of everything. Yet he does this, like, Total scumbag move. That
0: well, why do you think that is? Why do you think that is character-wise? Because I get the way that Dave Givens draws it and the way that he draws their expressions, forgetting about Laurie for a second... It does feel like there's honest emotion happening on Dr. Manhattan's face, whether he's faking it or not, whether he's saying this is a simulacrum of a human being that I'm impersonating right now or not. I don't know. But to me, it feels like he truly is reaching out for that companionship that Laurie is providing on the roof, not just giving her what he thinks she wants like he does later on when he gives her the threesome that ultimately breaks the bar.
1: Right. Um, I mean, I guess if you're taking his powers for what it is, it makes sense that he would want to keep consistency because he remains constant. So he is finding, he's trying to have the same thing he had with Janie as with this now. He's having the younger version. So it's all constantly the same, like, young wife that he's had. And that's where the time, he is stuck in that time.
0: Is that your take on it, Pete?
2: Well, I mean, it's it's interesting. I don't know. I mean, Matt, Dr. Manhattan is a tough read, you know? He is so stoic and so powerful. It's t- kind of tough to know what's going on. Uh, I kind of just, it's a little too creepy to think about for me,
0: but... Uh, but I think that, like... I the think a w- good thing to do on our podcast is not confront the problematic parts of the comic book. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, just avoid them as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. No, I mean, like, if you're really... Th- it's not necessarily about the creepiness. I'm wondering now, what is Dr. Manhattan thinking when he hooks up with Lori? Forgetting about her age for a moment, which is a whole other can of worms.
1: Yeah. It's hard to separate it. Um, <laughs> okay. I also think it could be... If you wanna if he is fully aware of everything that's happening in the story, then it is important that he be with her to set up the narrative structure that saves the world. So
0: I, I think that's possible. I I think he's just honestly looking for emotion. Like he's looking for that purity of emotion that comes with youth yeah. of being sixteen or seventeen when you feel things so much stronger. Something that really hit me very hard. Is his repeated flashes back to that first moment when he touches fingers with Janie? Yeah, yeah the, gl- the, the mug, the, the of, mug beer. of beer. Yeah, and the, what's what's crazy when rereading this comic for
2: the uh, you know second or third, fourth, fifth time, it's like all right, no need to brag. Well, yeah. I'm just saying
1: that a lot, like a lot of time on his hands. Over <laughs> here. Sometimes,
2: uh, when you're repeating things like in movies or television or uh, other comic books. I get mad when they're repeating things, when it's like undercutting. It feels like they're undercutting my ability to retain what's happening in the story. But here it's done in such an artistic way that it's, like when you see it again, it's it's kind of an aha moment, and and really kind of makes it a little bit more powerful. Well,
1: in a lot of ways, he's trapped in the the life he had before he became Doctor Manhattan. So he's always trying to replicate uh, the cogs of a clock, um, the first hand, the first relationship he when he first fell in love. Yeah. He's continually replicating that, despite the fact that he's the most powerful person in the world.
0: I, I definitely think that's it, but I also think it gets back to that thing I was mentioning earlier with those still moments, bringing back those memories. Uh, I will definitely. Get to my most traumatic memories by the end of this podcast. Got to get there. Yeah, get there. We'll no, I have, have the some photos countdown. I oh, have a have photo. Bunch of I
1: have a bunch of photos. I want to have you just drop them onto the surface of this room we're in, oh, which is Mars. Which is Mars, course. as we yeah. said. Uh, but I think at the same was, time
0: you have those positive feelings. Like, do you? I don't know if you ever think about this, but when you are with a person you love, you don't necessarily sit down and be like, let me review our entire relationship as it has happened thus far. No,
1: every conversation with my wife begins and ends with <laughs> how we met up till that exact moment. Oh, okay. Well. You just recap it? Yeah. Well, it's like a recap. I'm sure that doesn't boring. No. But
0: you think about those moments. You think about those moments when your hands first touched. That's where that spark, that the throb of emotion came out of you. And I think- That's what. All right, buddy. Uh, That's what. uh, Yeah, it's true. Throb of emotion. Throb of emotion.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That big vein of emotion. Wow. Mm Porno Shakespeare over here.
0: <laughs> guys, I'm trying to say something real here. Right? Yeah. Oh, okay. hey, trying to have Sorry. a moment with you guys. Yeah, cool. Uh, but I think that's what Dr. Manhattan is trying to get back in a certain way. Like, he remembers that. He remembers those strongest moments. Those are the things that get him back to his humanity. I think it's the same thing with Laurie on that roof. I think it's the same thing... Uh, through various points in this issue, not necessarily when he's acting as Dr. Manhattan, but when he is trying to get back to John Osterman. And it's just not working. Like, ultimately, he goes to Mars to completely escape his humanity. Like, that's the least human thing you could do is teleport yourself to Mars and build a castle there. But what does he build a castle of? He builds a castle out of cogs of a watch going back to his formative moment when his father threw it off the balcony.
1: I think he's just a huge fan of Frozen. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's Elsing uh, a Castle. Do you think, are you
0: saying this right now, that Watchmen ripped off Frozen? Do you think?
1: Exactly. Well, Dr. Manhattan can see the future, so he right. backloaded <laughs> that uh reference.
2: I think it's reverse. I think Frozen r- w- ripped off Watchmen. You think. think so? Why, oh, yeah. because
1: just that's how time
2: works? Yep. Huh. huh.
0: Interesting. interesting. Uh, I will say that there is that panel right at the end where he's on Mars and he sings the entirety of Let It Go, Yeah. yeah. that it feels like...
1: Feels like a direct reference. It does. Right? It does, yeah, feel, it does little, feel like a connection feels there. Feels purposeful.
0: Yeah, and the fact that his sister is named Anna.
1: Yeah, and the tiny snowman that's stupid the whole time. Hey, <laughs> oh come on!
0: Whoa, so I've seen that movie. His name is Rorschach. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, great! I've seen that movie. Too many times. Yes, uh, same here.
0: Uh, should we? Uh, what else should we talk about in this book? I mean, true to form, we've been jumping around in time here as we've been talking Ooh. through it, rather than walking Ooh. through page by page. Uh, but we could probably talk about his origin moments as yeah.
1: well. I like just from a pure superhero origin standpoint. I thought this was great. Like the yeah. origin itself of the the character. He gets access. He's going back into the uh, this radiation ch- chamber to get uh, the watch that he repaired to. Uh, his true love. He gets trapped in there and she has, everyone has to watch him be destroyed. Then they slowly, like this is a, just a great character origin outside of all of the secondary commentary about it. The world and everything around it.
0: Now, there's been a lot of arguments about what the characters in Watchmen are references to, what Alan Moore was working for here, because the way that I heard it was originally this pitch happened with the Charlton characters, which includes Blue Beetle and Captain Adam and other characters like that, but ultimately DC said, no, you can't use those, so he created these other characters that were semi-analogues to them, which is why Rorschach is like the question and uh, Night Owl is like Blue Beetle, and of course, uh, Doctor. Manhattan is like Captain Adam uh, in terms of that. But I also think like there's, even with the darkness here, there's kind of a sense of Superman going on a little bit that he's riffing on.
1: Yeah. I mean, they call him Superman. Right. America has its own Superman. um. Right.
0: And as we know from reading uh, Under the Hood, they did have Superman as a comic book uh, that existed. So that reference does exist in the world of Watchmen for them to pull on. Plus,
2: I think it's a good point here is if, you know, you have somebody you care about and then you have some object that you care about, you got to give up on the objects and stick with the people because otherwise you'll just die in a horrible scientific accident. I've never
1: thought that. Objects, people over objects? Yeah. Oh, I just love objects. Not added. Well, I'm just saying, if it was, it was a it choice, might kill to, you someday.
0: If it was a choice to throw my phone in a ravine or you guys, I would pick <laughs> you guys every time. Wow, wow! I hate I, like, I love you. My know phone. you can get a new phone. I gotta, I gotta play my Candy Crush can't go a day without hitting my levels. All
1: right. Wow. We're, we're skipping our trip to the ravine this <laughs> year.
0: <laughs> I have a feeling Alex is it's the saying, the no,
1: Nope. We're not going to the ravine. Oh. We're not going to the ravine this year again, uh, Pete. Alex is going to kill us. That's uh, smart. Yeah.
0: It's smart. Well, to your point, though, it, it is it is him returning to these moments to hold on to his humanity, right?
1: Yeah. Like, yes. Uh, he, which is tenuous, like getting away from him. Uh, yes. And... But why? Why is he losing? Is he losing more humanity as he goes on because his powers work that way? Or is it uh, what? What's making him lose his humanity? I think uh, the
0: powers. I think it's growing up, honestly. Like, it's getting older. Like, as you get older, you get further and further away from the person you once were. And if you feel like your formative time was in your 20s, you do constantly want to get back to that. You want to grasp at that again. College. Uh, Uh, Really? 20s? No, I'm saying if you feel that way, like oh, he does. Okay, I think like, I, I John... like
2: 8, eight, ten was my sweet spot. That shows. That's 100% 10? Years yeah. old? That well, was your that's peak? Where, Yeah, that's where I'm constantly trying to get back Very to. Very rooted in,
1: oh in the God. 8 to
0: 10. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well I'm that's... not there yet. I haven't reached my peak. It's just been an uphill oh, the my entire God. time. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, I got some <laughs> bad news for you, man. <laughs> what, I'm sitting in a back room in a theater taping a Watchmen <laughs> podcast?
1: Wow. Yep. That's not news. Um a couple of things I want to talk about uh, I feel like this reference I'm a big fan of Kurt Vonnegut the writer uh, here we go. Uh, and this uh, feels very much I, like. Slaughter I went to House college fight. with him Yeah, no, with him
0: well uh, <laughs> at him
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay I
0: went to Cornell and he went to Cornell it's no big deal go on I know I actually
1: went to Cornell uh, to see him speak oh uh, which is very cool great you should have said hi uh, yeah, yeah why didn't you say hi um, because Alex didn't know that we knew each other then, uh, I did cause well. I'm Dr. Manhattan, oh, snap. but I'm Dr. Manhattan for upstate New York. So I'm like Dr. Syracuse. <laughs> <laughs> it's much worse. Yeah. It's much worse. I can only see SU basketball uh, scores for the future. Uh, great. <laughs> Everyone make a lot
2: about. of, a lot of money that way.
1: Uh, in Star house five, there's a similar device, um, used in that story, uh, where the characters are slipping through time. Um, and I, I like. I don't know if that's a specific reference that Almore Moore was making, but I uh, I love that book. I love the connection here, and th- I think the point of in the book is that in times of like World War II and these times where the world is sort of being shattered, um, it shatters time itself and the narrative. And I think that's what we're seeing here a little bit as well. The stakes are high for all the characters. The world's maybe coming to an end. Uh, both the World War, impending World War Three, or Doctor Manhattan or whatever's happening um, that we don't know yet causes this loosening of time.
0: Yeah. Uh,
2: I just want to get back to uh, something we talked about. You know, if you drop something on the tracks, just leave it. Okay? You know, your phone is not really worth your life. Okay? Just, you know, if you are standing on the subway platform and you drop something...
0: Don't try to go down again. We should mention Pete works for the MTA. (laughs) Yeah. That's important to establish here. Uh, Let's talk about another aspect that's just fascinating in terms of the world building of uh, this whole series. So there's certain points that deviate not just from... DC comic superhero history, but also from our history and everything else that's going on. One of the first uh, points where it deviates is when Hooded Justice shows up. This real vigilante superhero shows up in the quote-unquote real world that starts to deviate things on a path away from superheroes in comic books, brings in these masked heroes, that Dr. Manhattan, of course, is another big leap forward here. But something that he adds in that Adrian Veidt, a.k.a. Ozymandias, pivots off of is that he is able to completely technologically change the world. He's able to bring back dirigibles. He's able to add different power and technology. Electric cars. Yeah. So part of what we're seeing, uh, and we've talked about this, we've touched on this throughout the podcast, is just like superheroes didn't necessarily make the world better... I don't think Dr. Manhattan's technology made the world better either, because what we see is a world very close to anarchy. We see a world on the brink of destruction, on the brink of World War III, and also we've seen a lot of grimy uh, downtown New York places that are very out of the 70s and 80s in real New York, um, but it's not a great place to live. It's not a good place to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, I think that's some, somewhat the point. Like, right. this is an, an anti superhero book in a lot of ways, and it's I an think
2: anti New York book.
0: Uh, no, no, nah. I, don't, I, don't I don't think it's that. He would. All right, MTA official. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, yes, absolutely it, It's pointing to the fact that all this technology is working for the wealthy And it's making that part better yeah. Because in any scenes with rich people We'll see they're living the high life While downtown, even somebody like Dan Dryberg Is living in a really bad part of town His lock keeps getting busted, mind you mostly as by Rorschach. Yeah. Uh, hates the, locks. Yeah. But there's gangs everywhere. There's Gafridi everywhere. Um, Dr. Manhattan hasn't made the world better at all.
1: Yeah. And I think that's because of his lack of... He's just solving problems. He's not thinking about the larger issues. He's... Uh, Not helping people He's like just Working on equations
0: Well that's uh, Something that gets Emphasized His first Superhero encounter Is with Moloch The Mystic Who is this Fun uh, character Very out of the 60s Very Adam West Batman Um, Every other Masked hero Talks about how much Fun he was to fight Like they clearly Are very nostalgic About it But Dr. Manhattan Goes in And immediately Just blows up One of his goons Heads
1: this panel, I think, is like so... It's like a perfect
0: panel. Yeah. It's
1: so good. And also, so that I want to talk about this. He has a line here where he says, the morality of my, my activities escapes me, meaning like, I blew that dude up, whatever. Like, Right. That's, they wanted me to fight crime, so I did. And then uh, like five, seven pages later, um, he's uh, flashing to when he's in Vietnam meeting comedian, and there's another line. Blake is interesting. I've never met anyone so deliberately amoral. And I thought that was an interesting choice of amoral as opposed to immoral mm-hmm. because Dr. Manhattan is amoral. He yeah. loses his ability to understand morals or like humans in general. And I think he's scared of, of the comedian because he's worried he sort of could become that. Yeah. But I, I think it's weird that he calls him amoral because I think the comedian is immoral. He's someone who knows morals and he's like, I do, I do yes. the opposite.
0: Yeah, I think uh, you're right about so that. So I
1: think that's such a weird... That's a weird moment there. I just noticed that on this reading. Like, he's calling the comedian amoral when he himself is amoral, and the comedian's actually immoral. Right. So I think it's like... But a pr- do you
0: think that has something to do with the fact that he understands the realization that the comedian eventually gained to, potentially?
1: I think that I the comedian,
0: com- at the end of his life, did understand... Good and bad And that there was none of that Like there's no gradation there That it's all fucked Because ultimately The world is going to get blown up No matter what they do um, But I guess to the point We are making earlier Dr. Manhattan might not know that Like he might yeah. not know that Because he wasn't there Right um, I don't know I'm not sure I don't know Um, Uh, Another thing that uh, I think uh, I wanted to touch on a little bit Is his relationship with Adrian Veidt here So we know where the comic book Is going to end up We know where the series is going to end up He meets Adrian Veidt And if he's really living Every single bit of his life All at the same time When he meets Adrian Veidt He knows exactly what's going to happen And there's an interesting panel in here Of them shaking hands for the first time That makes me wonder in that moment how much does Dr. Manhattan know? And the answer is probably all of it, right? I mean, it's hard. That's
1: the thing is we don't really know. I would think, no, no, he doesn't know. that. But that's why like, it's hard to tell what his powers are right. and, and how much he's sort of talking up his uh, godlike powers when it really is sort of retroactive as opposed to him actually in, in this moment when he's sitting with him in his Antarctic fortress and he's like, this dude's going to eventually try to destroy the world. Right. Um, Because the way it's played, I feel like maybe he's sort of, in the last panel, he's sort of touching his chin like, huh, what's up with this guy? Yeah. It feels like he's questioning as opposed to being like.
0: Right. So maybe he isn't able to actually see the end of all things. Maybe he doesn't necessarily know,
2: Which, uh, you know, kind of undercuts his intelligence a little bit because if you go to a giant uh, Antarctic layer. That should be a very big sign that says this guy is evil. Except Adrian
0: (laughs) Veidt, even if he's not supernaturally smart, he really is the smartest man in the world, or he's a very smart man, right? So if he knows that Dr. Manhattan... Knows everything that happens around him He has been very careful to make sure that Dr. Manhattan sees nothing other than what he wants to see yeah. The other thing that's interesting about that is in a certain sense Dr. Manhattan is complicit in what Adrian Veidt is doing Because as we find out, Adrian Veidt's technology is based on what Dr. Manhattan was able to do Right. So perhaps there's a sense of Dr. Manhattan pushing that down using his humanity, being embarrassed by the fact that he is going to help bring about this apocalyptic scenario.
1: But also, isn't Dr. Manhattan sort of, he's a, all the imagery and all the clock talk in here, he's a cog in, a big cog in a, the clock of the universe, or of Earth, right. or whatever you want to say. I mean... A cog doesn't know what time it is. A cog is just doing its job in the clock to make sure it ticks. So I think maybe that's a better sort of way of understanding his powers. Like, he may be aware of the passage of time and that it's going to be noon later, but the cog is incapable of changing its actions. It's only continuing to tick.
0: So what you're saying is, in a certain sense... uh they ripped off Beauty and the Beast because he's the Cogsworth yeah. oh, of wow. this particular comic. Think wow.
1: about it; it's a tale as old well as time.
0: Pete, anything additional you want to say about this book? Well, about I just—I
2: just think it's—it's it's interesting that the, there's like notes of Doctor Manhattan should be more aware of what's happening, and it's—it's it's kind of his humanity that is. Uh, dumbing him down a little bit
0: I do think part of that I, I was thinking about this While I was reading the issue And I do think part of that Is the artifice Of Alan Moore and Dave Givens Releasing a monthly comic book That's based out a mystery And they can't yeah. be like Dr. Manhattan flashes the end And be like And here's what Adrian Veidt was doing yeah. Because that's approximately Eight issues too early or so yeah. uh, So they can't show you that He may know But we're only seeing What they want us to see At this particular time So I understand what you're saying But I think like it's a structural thing as well. You're saying time. he's bullshit, though. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, you just can't throw. He just threw a doctor in front of his name. He's not. No, a he's not a doctor. Wow. If we called you Doctor Pete, it would make you good <laughs> at surgery. That's true.
0: We did, by the way. Uh, that's why I don't have this uh, arm.
1: Yeah. yeah. Nice. Needed an, an
0: armectomy. <laughs> Sorry about that. Hey, it's all good, bro. I only (laughs) need one arm to read comic books. Yeah. (laughs) pages. If you want to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. at the People's Improv Theater Loft in New York. Come on down. We'll chat with you about Watchmen. A couple of things we can plug. You can check us out socially at Watchmen Watch 1 on Twitter. Also, Watchmen Watch Podcast on Facebook and Watchmen Watch Podcast on Instagram. You can subscribe a bunch of places, iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, or the app of your Your choice. choice. And remember, (laughs) we taped this podcast 35 minutes ago.
1: Um, Oh, uh, sorry to interrupt. Alan just texted me uh, Uh a video of him on Mars singing Let It Go. So and he said it'll definitely be here next week.